hope you got your Bibles. If you don't, there's one in the back. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, so we'll read that here in a minute. But let me start by saying that most of you know, if you've known the Lord for any length of time, been involved in church on any level, that um, we happen to be living in a time when many followers of Jesus, and especially those in professional uh, church ministry, they they seek to grow. There seems to be this trend, and it's been there for like 30 plus years, to, to grow their respective local churches through what might be called culturally appropriate methodology. Big, big statement there. More often referred to by some as uh, gimmicks, entertainment. Maybe you heard that one. Now, I read this week a funny story that when this uh, trend towards church growth was beginning to take hold, this would have been probably early 70s or so, that the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a renowned British pastor and Christian leader, uh, he happened to tell a group at, at the place he pastored, which was Westminster Chapel in London. He pastored there for 30 years plus. He told his congregation that he knew a way to ensure every seat would be filled the following Sunday. Pretty big statement. To understand uh, this story, others have noted that uh, Dr. Jones was a very proper Welshman who always wore a suit and tie. Uh, in his biography, evidently, there's a picture of him at the beach with his little daughter playing in the sand, and he's wearing his suit and tie. <laughs> Some believe he was born wearing a suit. Anyway, the people in his church, when they heard what he had to say, he said, well, tell us, tell us, let's, let's, let's do that, whatever it is. It's very simple, he said. We put a notice in the Saturday edition of the London Times that I shall appear in the pulpit the very next day wearing a bathing suit. He says, the story goes on to say that after a shock silence on the part of the group, Dr. Jones went on to talk about the biblical basis for proper worship as opposed to the approach of using entertainment to entice people to attend church. For years, and I include myself in this, especially in the 70s and 80s, church leaders have flocked, and it continues to this day, to conferences, sorry guys, <laughs> and seminars uh, that teach how to market the church, that is, to do ministry in today's world. They learn how to make the church, actually they, that is we, I will include myself in this, we learned how to make the church user-friendly for outsiders, to be sensitive to the cultural concerns of those who might consider attending our gatherings. They are taught, we were taught how to streamline the sermon, for me that didn't work. 
how to make it, that is the sermon and the service in general, non-threatening to the unchurch, learning how to use drama, multimedia, seeker, what that's a big buzzword, seeker-style music, and exciting programs for every age to attract and keep the community's interest so that they will hear and respond to the message of the gospel. Now the truth is, many of these methods that we learned uh, had their place and continue to have their place in doing ministry together to fulfilling the mission that our Savior has laid out before us. And believe it or not, they at times actually work with some of the largest churches in America, using them and teaching them to thousands of pastors who often see dramatic results. Now, in our text this morning, we see an example, which is not the first in the book of Acts, of impressive church growth. So I want you to turn with me to 11, chapter 11 in the book of Acts, verses 19 through 30. And we're going to read, and it's going to be up, up there, so follow along with me. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So, from a small group of persecuted refugees, the new church at Antioch saw many become followers of Jesus. In fact, at least three times here in this text, Luke is highlighting the large numbers But the reason this young local gathering of believers in Jesus experiences such remarkable growth wasn't that their leaders 
obviously because there weren't any, employed the, the latest church growth principles. They didn't seem to study the demographics of the community, the city of Antioch, and come up with a strategy to canvas their, their neighborhoods, to market their message, to attract the masses. Rather, the reason for the growth was simple. And this is what we want to focus on this morning. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, this was a new church plant that God was clearly happy about. He was clearly pleased, and thus his favor, his blessing, was extended to them. Now, let me just throw a question out. Should that not be our aim? I mean, cut, let's cut to the chase. The bottom line is we all want to see God's favor in our lives, to experience his blessing individually and collectively as the people of God, to see God pleased with our efforts as his people, so that his favor, his hand would be with us as well. I mean, I doubt this anybody here would not accept God's favor in their lives. Uh, and because we instinctively know that we will be better for it. We'll be better for it as, a, obviously, as a nation, as a community, as families, as a church, and as individuals. Well, to be a community of believers that God blesses, I would suggest we would do well to learn from this ancient church at Antioch. Here's a pretty cool little instance in the scriptures where it's pretty clear what it is God's pretty pumped up about, what he's excited about. Um, what's putting, if, you, if I could say it that way, put a smile on his face. Um, what he is genuinely pleased about. Uh, we would do well as a church to consider this at the church of Antioch. But let's be clear, and many have pointed this out, saw this in a lot of my, my studies and readings. Using the principles that this church followed will not necessarily result in numerical growth for any church, necessarily. Since God does not always grant numbers with his blessing. That's an important principle to consider. An important point to make. And we would be mistaken to conclude that God is blessing every growing church. We'd be just as mistaken to conclude that. Churches can and do grow just by incorporating marketing principles. It happens all the time, marketing, using marketing techniques. But let's say it this way. Whatever God's blessing looks like, which is sometimes hard to know what that looks like, uh, 
whatever his blessing looks like for town church, especially into the future, we can be sure of one thing. If we choose to ignore the principles present in this church, it's likely we will not experience his blessing however it looks, and certainly not at the level that he desires to extend it. Um, So if we long for the hand of the Lord to be with this, which I'm certain we do, uh, then we will do well to consider and look for ways to follow the example of uh, this ancient church at Antioch. Now, I see at least two principles. There are a bunch of them, and I really struggled. It took me, like, it took me weeks to actually boil it down to just two, just, just in the interest of time, because there is so much in this text, and some of it... Uh, I trust that Nate probably is going to touch on as we continue to go through the book of Acts. We're just going to look at two, and the two are this, that God blesses, and these are just bottom line, cut to the chase uh, principles, and they're so simple. I mean, it's just, just, and and I purposely, I mean, I could have worded them in some very biblical, theological terms, but I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to get it down to real life for us. The bottom line is this. God blesses when his children tell others the story of Jesus. Duh. But sometimes we forget this. God blesses when his children tell others the story of Jesus. And secondly, God blesses when we really, that is, when his children really, really believe that Jesus can save anyone and everyone. Now, there are other principles in this text as well that God blesses. Let me suggest just three, which we won't talk about, which maybe we should have in light of some of the the stuff that's been going on with the fires. God blesses when we trust him to use our struggles. And we see this in this text. These, there was a lot of blessing being ex- dulled out in spite of this persecution that was happening. God blesses when we choose character over talent. We see that in, in Barnabas. That is a great message. And God blesses when his people spontaneously give. We see that as his church spontaneously gave to those in need in Jerusalem. But we're going to focus on the first two. First, God blesses when his children tell others the story of Jesus. Now, the founding of the church at Antioch was arguably one of the most significant events Commentators agree in the history of Western civilization. It led to the distinctiveness, and Nate has talked considerably about this in previous weeks, to the distinctiveness of the Christian church apart from the Jewish synagogue, in that it, it for the first time, significantly blended together in one family, both Jews and Gentiles. It was here that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, that is, Christ followers. From Antioch, the church launched the first mission into Europe. 
And you and I, conceivably, would not be Christians today had it not been for God's hand being with this church, his blessing with this church. This is a significant event. One remarkable feature that I want to draw our attention to of this church is how it started. It's so simple. It was not founded by apostles. It wasn't found by a pastor. It wasn't founded by trained missionaries. Rather, some unnamed men who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen came to Antioch and simply began talking. And not just to Jews, but as the text says, to the Greeks. That is, the non-Jews, non-Jewish Gentiles, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, the word for speak, it shows up in verses 19 and 20. In the original language is, is the word simply for normal conversations. The implication here is that these men didn't preach as trained orators, which was very common in Greek society, They didn't do this in the marketplace or from the synagogue pulpit. Rather, in their everyday, normal, living out contacts, contacts, they simply told others about Jesus. Now, some have suggested that there is reason to believe that Luke himself may have been a native of Antioch. And quite possibly as a doctor, he may have been treating a man who told them about Jesus, leading to his own conversion But if not, surely Luke, he either knew or easily could have found out the names of these these gentlemen. He mentions where they're from, Cyprus. Cyprus was a large island in, in the Mediterranean. And Cyrene, which was on the north coast of Africa. Yet these guys, in spite of how much... God used them. They remained unnamed. Some have asked why. Well, is it possible that if they had been named, that we probably would have been holding them up as missionary heroes and view them as men not a notch above the average Christian. We might even think that what they did was something pretty exceptional, out of the ordinary, and something that we probably could never do ourselves. But by remaining unnamed, this tells us that these guys were simply average folk who had met the Lord Jesus, tasted his grace, and who simply wanted others to know him the point is the Lord was pretty pleased with that that they were willing to do that and the point is is that we can do the same told you it was going to be pretty simple when you think about it we too have met the Lord Jesus We too have tasted his grace, and we too have the incredible privilege of telling others about Jesus. And we too can be sure that the hand of the Lord will be with us when we do. It's that simple.
it's interesting that um, we've that when it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, it's that's simply another way of saying that the Lord Jesus was with them. And isn't that what he promised to his disciples right on the heels of instructing them to take the gospel into the whole world? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I remember it was a long time ago when I first became a Christian at 15. And as I actually thought about this text and I thought back on that period of my life when I first heard about Jesus, you know, I didn't hear it from a pastor. I didn't hear it from somebody who was a trained uh, evangelist who went to school to uh, learn how to effectively uh, share the gospel with somebody. Um, I didn't go to church. Nobody invited me to church or to a, um, a revival meeting, which is pretty common back then, um, or some special event that I grew up in Southern Cal. It was very common to have these big stadium events and where you would hear a special speaker like Billy Graham. Um, and not to say that, that God uses them. Matter of fact, he does. Thousands upon thousands of people have come to know the Lord Jesus. Millions have come to know the Lord Jesus through those events. But when I became a Christian, it was because a baseball player, a fellow baseball player on the team that I was playing on, just, just a guy, my, maybe he was a year or two older than me, he simply was compelled to tell me one day that Jesus loved me. Now, I never heard that before. I didn't even know what that meant. But over the weeks, the, the, the weeks after when he initially simply said that, um, he, you know, it, the Spirit of God obviously was preparing my heart and it pricked me in ways that I kept coming back to him and asking him what he meant. Anyway, after weeks and weeks of him in the context of our relationship just basically sprinkling the gospel, at one point he simply asked me, you want to become a Christian? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I do. And anyway, and then I gave my heart to the Lord. And that, the, the scene of that and the context of that is another story in and of itself. But uh, the point is, is that God simply used an average guy just like anybody, like me, to share the good news and I'm really convinced that, that, that God was pretty pleased with that. And he's pleased at any time we choose to do the same. There's another story that, as I look back and I think about just average people just telling others of the story of Jesus. And this is, 
I had forgotten, I've forgotten, for years I have forgotten this story. But I remember in the first year that I became a Christian that my sister and I, actually maybe both my sisters, we were praying. My parents had gone to Las Vegas for a weekend. And I just, we just had this, obviously, this sincere desire that, that our parents would learn about Jesus. That they would be, that we would have the chance, which is, is a very difficult thing for a child uh, uh, to share the gospel with their parents, especially when those children are teenage age and they're really cocky, you know, and they know it all, which I was one of those. And anyway, not a lot of opportunities or openings to um, try to convince my parents that they needed to give their heart to Jesus. So basically we were we knew it had to happen some other way, so we just started praying. And, and, and the honest truth, this is what happened. My parents took off for the weekend, and we prayed. We prayed that while they were in Las Vegas, we were crazy in this prayer. We actually specifically asked that the Lord would bring somebody by and talk to them. That in some shape or form, God would cause somebody to cross their paths and would give them a chance, would, would talk to them about Jesus. Anyway, we prayed that. And believe it or not, when my parents came back, it was probably a week or two later that my mom just happened to say in passing, oh, by the way, you, you'll, be, you'll be really happy to hear that that some young girl who was walking on the street um, while your father and I were walking down the strip just happened to come up and hand your dad a, I think it must have been a Christian track, and just simply said, do you know Jesus loves you? Just out of the blue. Now, if you, if, if you knew my dad, you would just think, oh my Goodness, did that really happen? You know, what, and of course, I said, what did my dad say? You know, what did dad say? Oh, and dad said something to the effect, is that so? You know, and basically, that was the end of the conversation. All right? We, I inquired, I kind of pressed my mom a little bit on when that was happening. And, of course, my sisters and I, we were just like, flabbergasted that it actually happened as best as we could tell right when we were praying. Now, anyway, not only was the Lord pleased that we were asking something so simple, you know, uh, but I am certain he was pleased that this young girl, just, just a, you know, a known name, an unnamed person, would be willing to share with my dad that Jesus loved him. Anyway, it's, you know, I got lots of stories that, as I thought this last few weeks, just, just reminded me how pleased the Lord is when we simply share 
our story about what is happening to us, what Jesus has done for us. I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, this baseball player, you know, he basically, you know, he immediately when I became a Christian, it wasn't as if he was in a position to, uh, he was moving on. I, he basically had to lay it down for, now this is what you do, now that you're a Christian. He, he brought up, it was either three or four things. He man, you got to read your Bible. Dude, don't forget to read your Bible. Read it every day. You better spend some time in prayer. You know, and he didn't tell me how to pray. Just pray, dude. Pray a lot. And then he says, oh, then the third thing is, you know, you got to find a church. Go to church, dude. You got to do it. Got to be in a church. And the last thing he says, tell everybody you can, that you can think of, of what has happened to you. You know, that was it. Four things. Bottom line principles. All right? And this is what is happening here. We should be telling everybody that the Lord um, gives us opportunity to tell the story of Jesus. You know, as a side note, uh, when we, we see as well as in this text, I don't know if you notice that when Barnabas and Saul uh, later rose to positions of leadership through their teaching ministry, this church didn't hesitate. Um, uh, when you think about it, this church didn't depend on them, let's just say it that way, in order to function and to grow. In one sense, they did. They, they were there for, for a while. But as soon as they, there was this need in Jerusalem, what did they do? They... They, they put together the, the money, they, they gave it to Barnabas and Saul, and they send them off. Now, the distance between Jerusalem and Antioch was, in terms of going back and forth, probably was several months. But they kept functioning as a church. Now, why do I share that? Well, let me add to that. When the Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul, we'll get to that in Acts 13 for the first missionary journey, the church at Antioch, they could send off these two key leaders and basically keep on trucking as a church. Now, why do I mention that? Well, it's because no doubt that these believers, when you really think about it, these early believers clearly were taught and felt compelled to serve together in whatever way was needed. I mean, they were just probably just like you and I, just average people. But yet they were willing to step to the plate they were willing to share in the privilege of, of being the church. Now, let me put it together with what it is we've said before that. If the hearing and the receiving or the learning of the awesome news of Jesus, or let's just say the healthy functioning of the town church, depends largely on the labors of, of full-time pastors or professional paid pastors, which Nate's... I don't even call him. Would you call him professional? <laughs> he probably wouldn't want to even be called that. All right? If basically it all depends on the few, and this church goes the way of the typical church, which is the 80-20 curse, where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, God's people, then the the point is, is that the mission is going to be severely limited. It's going to be stunted. But if every follower of Jesus 
the average believer in general is taught, is feel, feels compelled to serve their Savior and tell others the good news about him, the bottom line is the gospel's going to spread and the church will be built up healthy and strong, primarily because God himself is pleased with that. His hand is with the church that functions that way, is with a people who live that way. I believe this is, of course, how God has designed his people, his church, to be. And I'm just encouraged by these, these guys from Cyrene and Cyprus. And you and I ought not to underestimate what God can do and will do through your life and mine in the lives of others for his honor, regardless of whether we have the ability or the talent or whether we're gifted or whether we are schooled in that or whether we hold a position or whether we even have the experience. It's amazing when it's, in a sense, matter of fact, let's say it this way, all God seeks is a yielded heart driven by a gratitude for his grace. That's really what it is that excites the Lord and his blessing. Therefore, his hand will be with us. All right, it's very simple. Two, God blesses when we really believe that Jesus can save anyone and everyone. Now, obviously, we're probably going to follow through with the first principle if we believe the second principle. To understand our text, we need to know that a little bit more about Antioch. It was located about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome and Alexandria. It, it had more than 500,000 residents at this time. It was said to be the center for commerce and a crossroads for travel and trade between Europe and the Orient. And of course, when you think about it, that made this city a melting pot of various ethnicities, including the Romans, Syrians, Jews, and many others. It is said that the city was synonymous with sexual immorality. Five miles outside of town was the grove called Daphne, where worshipers of Artemis and Apollo pursued their religion of pleasure with temple prostitutes. There was a Roman writer named Juvenal, and he criticized, get this, this Roman writer criticized the moral pollution of Rome by saying that the sewage of this river called the Orontes, which flowed through Antioch, had for too long been discharged into the river Tiber, which flowed through Rome. The point was, he meant to say that Antioch was so corrupt that it was impacting Rome, more than 1,300 miles away. Now, why do I share all that? Well, it's fascinating to me, and it's really incredibly significant that when God picked a city, follow me on this, this is absolutely amazing, when God picked a city to plant his church and that would soon become the center for missionary activity, 
He picked what? Antioch. In this secular, pagan environment, everyday Christians simply began telling the simple and beautiful message of God's son Jesus who came into the world to save sinners. Now, what they certainly proved was that the power of God for salvation to the Jews was to be the power of God for salvation to these pagan Gentiles as well. The gospel was for and could save anyone and everyone, and they proved it. Regardless of race, regardless of skin color, regardless of age, culture, rich, poor, whether they were religious, pagan, moral, or immoral. Now, let's bring it home. I wonder, I mean, I wonder, as I thought about this, I wonder what God has picked Humboldt County for. Matter of fact, I wonder if any of us Christians have ever even asked that question. I mean, what is God's plan? What is his desire, his passion for our community, our neighborhoods? Now, we don't know the specifics, but one thing we should know is that, that God loves every single person in Humboldt County. But the way, listen, have you noticed, and, and some of us will probably have to confess that we've got ourselves into this rut. The way we, as God's people, often talk about perceive and complain and react to the prevailing local culture and all the negatives of California, you would think that God has written off this part of the world by the way Christians talk. Some of us, the way we talk, we think that maybe God has written off the whole West Coast. We act as if the gospel's not powerful enough to reach the hearts of our neighbors and friends, those we work with, those who roam our streets. But, but that doesn't make any sense. I mean, how can that be? We who have tasted such depths of God's grace and experience, such unmerited redemption? Or have we simply forgotten this? Have we lost sight of this? I don't know about you, but there is this trend within the Christian community that I've noticed over the last three or four years. You know, you, you hear this in terms of California in general, where there's this mass exodus. You know, people are moving out. And what's alarming is how many Christians are leaving California. Why? I ask the question, why? Well, 
the why are oftentimes some pretty practical reasons, and sometimes that may be necessary, job, okay? But oftentimes the way some of the discussions go, that the reason I'm tired of the taxes, I'm tired of the, you know, and usually it stems back to some cultural, moral issue. I got to get out of here, you know? But isn't it ironic that, that these guys from um, Cyprus and Cyrene, they were moving to Antioch. And they were just normal guys. And they were going there for what reason? I, we don't know why it is they went there. Did they go to Antioch just to show? We don't know what that was. But when they were there, for whatever reason they were there, God gave them eyes to see the community, the people that they were crossing paths with, rubbing shoulders with, these people need to hear about Jesus. And so they share the gospel. Now, it's true that I'm not going to say that it's wrong to move. Because um, if it, But I would say, let's be sure that we're moving for the right reason. And that's something that, that only each of us can decide before the Lord. But certainly let's not move because we think that God has abandoned Humble County by gosh, of anybody who should be excited about God's plans for Humble County. It should be Christian people. I mean, wow. Because we're, we know the gospel. We know what it can do. We know what it's done to us. I am convinced, and I mentioned this a time or two, that Humboldt County is a place they wonder. They wonder. Yes, they are cynical, but they genuinely wonder whether or not the Christian faith, whether Jesus is even real. And if we just write them off or abandon them, how in the world are they ever going to see Jesus so that they know that he's real? The primary way that God means to reach Humboldt County is through his children in the context of their relationships at work, in the store, in the gym. That's where he means to reach the people. It's, I don't know about you, when's the last time you actually invited a non-Christian to come to church? All right? My point is that, may have, that method might have worked 30 years ago or 40 years ago, maybe even longer. It didn't even work in Broadus 25 years ago. But the point is, if we're not careful we'll actually be convinced that it takes professional people to share the gospel, and we've got to take them to there. That's an, that's an old-school method. But I'm trying to tell you, that method was never God's plan, primary plan for people coming to know Jesus. I believe that what we're seeing in Antioch is the, is the way that he, 
he is really pleased with when his children, in the context of relationship, is simply telling the story of Jesus. Certainly, in, in, a, in an appropriate way. Um, well, it's pretty clear that these nameless men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they didn't write off Antioch. They could say like the Apostle Paul that they were not, in Romans 1.16, they were not ashamed of the gospel. Do we, have a, do we wonder why it is God's hand was with them? Do we wonder why it is God used the Apostle Paul? He's not ashamed of the gospel because they believed it is the power of God for salvation to some no to everyone to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek so the hand of the Lord was with them and the church flourished and it will be with us as well when we really begin to believe that Jesus loves and can save anyone and everyone in Humboldt County, regardless of how morally, spiritually, physically, culturally different or offensive they may be to us. Wow, got to get past that. And let me say to you, we must begin to believe this outside of our gatherings on Sunday. And believe this outside of our midweek get-togethers. We need to believe it. We need to have this overwhelming conviction out in our everyday real world. As we are crossing paths, whether you realize it or not, providentially by God's design with people. Interacting and living life with them in our community. God means for it to happen that way. And in the context of real life, talking about Jesus. Now again, the whole how and when and being sensitive and wise. That's another message altogether. But oh, that the Lord would give us eyes to see the deepest need of every heart that we pass. And what is that need? Jesus, that he would give us eyes to see the depth of God's love, the love that he has for every man, woman, and child that we encounter, no matter what they look like, how they smell, what they believe. Aren't you glad he had that love for you, for me? Oh, my goodness. I am so grateful as I think back for that baseball player who didn't write me off. He knew Jesus. He was so excited and so thankful that he simply shared the good news with me. And by God's grace, I've never been the same since. That the Lord would give us, oh, we should be praying that the Lord would give us a yearning and an unstoppable compulsion, an overwhelming joy to introduce our friends to Jesus. Whether by word or by deed, even if it's, it happens right away or if it takes years. 
Oh, that the Lord would also give us that deep abiding assurance that when we do, the hand of the Lord will be with us. That he'll not leave us or forsake us. He'll be with us to the very end. Let's pray. Father, I I do pray that you would work in our lives. Sometimes we, I confess that I compartmentalize my relationship with you. It's pretty easy to do. Before you know it, we're living we're leave, living separate lives, a, a, a kind of life at home, quietness and protection of our own homes and in our church and together with Christians. But it's almost, if we're not careful, when we're out in the real world, we're almost acting like we're ashamed of you because we, we leave our faith in you behind as if you're not our life. You're not our beginning and our end. You're not the most important thing in our hearts, in our lives. I pray that you'd, you'd really work us, work, help us work through this and help us Give us eyes, as we've, as we've talked about, to see the people around us as you do. And fill our hearts with a joy, an overwhelming sense of joy in, in what you've done for us. And, and I pray that it would just bubble up and overflow naturally in the real world as we live life in this community. And I pray that we would even confess, we would, we would ask you to forgive us for for even giving the impression that there's no hope for this community in the way we talk with each other. and Help us not to be complainers. Help us not to be whiners. Help us not to be always looking at what's wrong with the community. But I pray that we would present, put forth the greatest hope that there is. And that's the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.